You're going to love this. Just love it. Of course you will. Of course you will. You'll love it. You'll love it, and you'll be happy about it. I am stuck in the middle with you, live from Los Angeles on Black Friday Eve. Eve. This is the Bradcast on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. Oh, Oregon. We got an Oregon story today. And, of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, on iTunes. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com glad you could join us here this afternoon and you know i want it's it's as i said it's uh thanksgiving week so i kind of wanted i was hoping i was planning to have a light show it's the night before thanksgiving when we're broadcasting here live uh light show everybody's heading home for the holidays um Especially after this terrible year we've had, this terrible bunch of months we've had. Uh, So, you know, I was going to ask, I was going to open the phone lines. I was going to ask you, what are you thankful for? What is there to be thankful for? What should I be thankful for? That's what I was going to do. It's going to be an easy show. And, uh, well, if you, by the way, if you can tell me uh, what I should be thankful for, what you are thankful for, feel free to give us a call. uh, 818-985-985. 5735-818-985-KPFK is our phone number. Um, so my plan for a light show uh, just went to hell after uh, St. Louis uh, County Prosecutor Bob McCulloch came out and ruined Thanksgiving for the entire nation. Thanks, Bob. Uh, by the way, uh, that prosecutor, he gave a great defense of Darren Wilson, didn't he? I can't wait to hear the prosecutor's case. Bob McCulloch. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, and talk about Ferguson a little bit later in the show. Uh, and uh, also related to this, because I've been wanting to talk talk about this for a while. Uh, would you be able, if you were on jury, never mind a grand jury, but if you were on a jury, would you be able to consider testimony from a police officer the same way you would consider testimony from any other witness? Because that's what I was asked about when I was on jury duty about a month ago. And uh, my answer got me kicked off of jury duty. And so we're going to talk a a little bit more about that. And uh, as well, uh, I told you, I've been telling you now for a month or so, that election problems and questions and concerns, they don't always reveal themselves right away on election day. Sometimes it takes days and weeks, even months later. 
And here we are uh, pushing a month almost since the November 4th election. And boy, howdy, do we still have problems with that November 4th election. We've got some news out of Oregon today concerning uh, ballot measure 92 up there, the uh, GMO labeling uh, ballot measure. A recount is coming. We've got some less, and that's good news, by the way. We've got less encouraging news about a recount coming in Arizona's second congressional district. We've got some news and exclusive at bradblog.com. This, too, relates to Ferguson because St. Louis County officials were warned before the election that they were not going to have enough paper ballots in Ferguson and elsewhere. And they didn't do a damn thing about it. And I've got the emails to prove it at Brad Blog. We'll talk about that. Uh, and also a hell, one hell of an election fraud mystery in a tiny Maine island town that flipped a Senate race from Democratic to Republican. It's actually it's an amazing story. And, uh, and well, maybe we'll start with that in a moment uh, to try to keep things somewhat light, even though it's horrible. Uh, also, Desi Doyen uh, and the Green News Report, she will be with us as usual. Uh, today, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo blames meteorologists for not letting him know that it was going to snow in Buffalo. That will be on today's Green News Report, along with, oh, here's an interesting one. Can you guess? Because this kind of surprised me. Can you guess which country now leads the world in deforestation? Uh, this this one kind of caught me off guard. So that'll be in our Green News report a little bit later in the show. Uh, I want to hit a couple of uh, quick election items, as I mentioned, and then we will get to your calls and Ferguson and everything else. Uh this is uh, a story that came in uh, that actually that I noticed last week, a study that came out uh, a month or two ago from Harvard University uh, and the University of Sydney and uh, the Harvard uh, Kennedy uh, School of Government, I guess. And what we find is that uh, the U.S., they asked a, a bunch of experts how to best uh, how to uh, how how the world's democracies basically uh, work and and to rank them on a bunch of different uh, levels. The, the study collected 49 different indicators to compare elections uh, and countries around the globe. The U.S. came in 26th in this ranking, 26th amongst world democra democracies. Yes, we're 26. Uh, we came in right below Micronesia. And we came uh, one step above Mexico. Our elections have uh, just a little bit more electoral integrity than that of Mexico. Just one step. We are last of, uh, among those nations considered to be Western nations. It's also striking, the researchers wrote, that despite centuries of elections in the 2012 presidential contest, the U.S. was ranked only 26th. This rating was similar, they said, to countries such as Mexico, Mongolia, and Georgia. We are rated in the moderate electoral integrity category, which puts us uh, right next to Ghana, Bhutan, Montenegro, Nepal, Pakistan, and the Philippines, nations with elections found to have more integrity than the U.S., as per the study's benchmarks, include Norway, Germany, Netherlands, Iceland, Czech Republic, South Korea, Austria, Slovenia, Israel, Cyprus, Lithuania, Australia, Rwanda, Rwanda, Japan, Chile, Italy, Grenada, Malta, Argentina, Georgia, Mongolia, and Micronesia. So there you go. Way to go, U.S. 
We're number 26. Uh, why are we you uh, uh, number 26? By the way, they, they say it has a lot to do with our election laws, the fact that we make it so difficult to register. Uh, it has a lot to do with the process of redistricting, campaign finance. These were all among the things that uh, hurt the U.S. in that electoral integrity study that no one was talking about, of course, because we live in the world's greatest democracy. And anybody who says otherwise will not see the front pages of the mainstream corporate media. OK, but uh, keeping things light, speaking of lousy elections, uh, paging Yes, that's right. Paging Jessica Fletcher. Yeah, see? see how we're keeping things light? We take you now to Cabot Cove, Maine, where Jessica Fletcher will be solving another murder. No, no, we have a real... Okay, you can knock it... All right, knock it off. We've got a real... It's not a murder mystery, but it is an election mystery, and it's amazing. This is kind of my favorite story of the day, and uh, everything is so crappy in Ferguson and beyond that I kind of wanted to get to something that's kind of enjoyable, even though it's kind of creepy. Okay, on election night of this year in uh, Maine, uh, this is this is amazing. Uh, it, it means Senate State Senate District Number Twenty Five. There was a race between the Democrat Catherine Breen and the Republican Kathleen Manchester. So two Cathys running for state senate in uh, in the state of Maine. Now on election night in Senate District Twenty Five, there are seven different little towns, uh, some smaller than others. Uh, in, in one of those little towns, only one of them, little town of Long Island, Maine's tiny little town, uh, they are the only ones of those seven towns to actually count paper ballots by hand on election night. Now, the race ended up being really, really close. It was just 32 votes separated the Democrat and the Republican. And when we looked at these seven different towns, because we had to have a recount, that took place last week when we looked at the seven towns and how the recounts compared to the initial election night counts. The six towns that counted by uh, that counted by optical scan computers had errors in it. The town of Long Island had a perfect count. No, not a perfect murder, but a perfect count. And so, no, not a perfect murder. It, you, no, we don't have. It was a perfect count in Long Island. It was a perfect count. They counted every single ballot correctly. And they found out that the Democrat had won by 32 votes in this district. That's great. Move the move everything forward two weeks to November 18th. The Republican has asked for a recount, understandably. And uh, looking at Long Island, which has just one precinct, the town of Long Island, one precinct, 171 voters had cast votes that day, according to the manifest. 171 votes had been recorded in the race for Senate District 25. And they got around to opening this box, the only town in this district that actually counted ballots by hand. They got around to opening the, uh, the locked ballot box. And what did they find? But 21 new ballots, all for the Republican, that had not been counted on election night. 
21 new ballots just came out of nowhere, all of them for the Republican in this incredibly close race where the Senate, uh, where the Democrat had won only by 32 votes on election night. So other than those 21 votes in that locked, otherwise locked ballot box, uh, they had a perfect count on Long Island. So where did these 21 votes come from? We still do not know. But what we know is those 21 votes, all for the Republicans, ended up flipping the race from the Democrat to the Republican. Those 21 votes and a few other votes that got adjusted uh, uh, during the hand recount. That was the good news. They did the, the recount by hand in all of the towns. And only the one town that counted by hand had that perfect count, except for these 21 ballots that nobody knows where they came from. Even now, we don't know where they came from. Brenda Singo is the town clerk of the tiny uh, town of Long Island. She has been unable to explain why the official tally on the sealed box of ballots, as well as the voter manifest, differed from the number of ballots that were found inside the box during the count. She has not responded to Bradblog's request for comment. We had some questions about how the hand count was, uh, was held on election night. It's quite a mystery, but... The Democratic Secretary of State of Maine has gone ahead and certified the election. The Democratic Party doesn't agree. They are challenging it. That means this election gets thrown to the Maine Senate. The Maine Senate is controlled by Republicans. They will be meeting, uh, reconvening the Maine Senate on December 3rd for their new session, at which time they will uh, put a committee together with four Republicans, three Democrats, to decide how to adjudicate this thing. But as of now, the Republican Kathleen Manchester is headed to the state Senate in the tiny town of, uh, well, actually in the state of Maine, thanks to these 21 mystery ballots in the tiny little town of Long Island. And so that, all right, you can... Thank you, Jessica Fletcher. Turn off the... Okay, kill the... Anyway, uh, a great little mystery and some amazing election fraud seemingly going on in Maine. And by the way, I should note there is no evidence at this time that there is any voter fraud, that any voter did anything wrong, such as voting twice or in someone else's name, which is the only type of fraud that can possibly be deterred by these photo ID restrictions that Republicans are trying to pass everywhere. So if you hear them citing this story about Maine and the Senate district and the 21 ballots that appeared out of nowhere, uh, please note polling place photo ID requirements at the polling place would not have deterred it. This seems to be, if anything, a good old-fashioned case of uh, ballot box stuffing. 171 ballots, 171 voters... And then suddenly 21 new ballots out of nowhere. Very cool. Love that story. Hope we can get to the bottom of it. Uh, I hope to hear back from the town clerk. That town clerk, by the way, she was the only one. She was the warden at the only precinct in Long Island. She was there all day. So what happened to those ballots after election night? Is it possible? Could she have missed 21 ballots? Seems unlikely, since the voter manifest itself, they also counted that, and they found 171 people signed in to vote that day. Crazy story. Speaking of recounts, uh, some good news. We'll see how many new ballots get discovered here in Oregon. Their GMO ballot measure, that was the one of the few that failed in Oregon. You know, the whole country went uh, way rightward with the results, at least with the reported results around the country this November 4th. But Oregon, 
Uh, Oregon didn't. Oregon passed the pot initiative. Oregon reelected its U.S. senator by huge numbers. Uh, but on this GMO-related issue, it went down in flames, at least it seemed to, on election night. Turns out maybe it didn't. Because as they've actually been bothering to count the ballots in, uh, in Oregon, they found out that this race is getting closer and closer and closer. So this one that failed, 92, uh, that was reported to have failed on election night, who knows, it may end up passing after all. One of the things that they did in Oregon that made a difference this year that I recommend the entire country do is that ballots, you know, they do all mail-in voting in Oregon. I'm not a fan of that, but in any case, people who live in Oregon, they love it, whatever. Uh, What they did, though, was ballots that didn't have the proper signatures on them or there were signature mismatches, questions about the signatures. They actually publicized the names of those people. So they got the word out, and, and, and the Yes on 92 campaign reached out to some 13,000 voters who were on that list that had ballots with the signature problems and weren't counted and tried to reach those 13,000 voters and said, hey, if you're on this list, go in there and see if you can cure this problem. See if you can sign up, uh, you know, give the proper signature or whatever needs to be done to show that this, in fact, was your ballot. And this appears to have made a difference because as of Monday of this week, the uh, the race was certified. <clears throat> the no on uh, on Measure 92 camp uh, uh, effort was for now victorious. A hundred, uh, what is it? 809 ballot, uh, ballots, 809 no votes outpacing the yes votes to label GMO foods. This right to know measure in Oregon. So only 809 votes. Uh, this would probably be headed to a recount. The good news is in Oregon, they hand count all the ballots by hand, all the paper ballots. They hand count them in a recount. So we're probably going to have a statewide recount. 809 vote margin out of 1.5 million ballots cast across the state. Uh, listeners to this show... Or readers of the Brad blog may recall there was a similar uh, attempted recount by citizens back in 2012 after Prop 37 in California, which was also a right to know GMO labeling measure. After that went down, that recount was stopped by a, a county registrar in Fresno who basically priced it, priced the recount too high so that the proponents could not afford to do the recount up in Oregon. It's a, uh, a mandated automatic state-sponsored recount because the totals are less than uh, one-fifth of one percent. So it can't be stopped by anyone. And we uh, may be able to find out what the voters of Oregon actually wanted. Of course, this was the most incredibly the most expensive campaign in Oregon history. The no on uh, 92 campaign was made up of Oh, you know, Monsanto, DuPont, PepsiCo, Kraft, all these food producers. Uh, and they spent $21 million to try to, to try to block this measure, to keep people from knowing what is in their food. To keep the requirement that would say, if you use GMO products, genetically modified products in this food, you must label, uh, you must say so on the label. $21 million they spent to block it. The Yes on 92 campaign Uh, spent $9 million. That's a lot of money until you compare it to the $21 million. 
So the most expensive campaign in Oregon history may now be headed to a hand-counted recount. That's good news. That's much better than the news in Arizona's congressional second district, where we have an incredibly uh, close race there. This is the seat that was once held by Gabby Gifford. Gifford's until she was shot. Uh, right now, Ron Barber, uh, who was a former staffer of hers, he took the seat in a special election and um now he's being challenged by Republican Martha McSally, who now leads him by 161 votes. Ron Barber, the Democrat, is challenging the 133 provisional ballots that were not counted in this race. This one is also likely headed to a recount. We may talk about this more on the show next week. Suffice to say, for now, in the state of Arizona, they don't hand count during a recount. They take the ballots that may or may not have counted correctly in the first place when they were run through the optical scanners, and they run them through the same optical scanners yet again. So who knows if they will get it right or not. Now, they do hand count a very small percentage uh, of the ballots during a recount to make sure the machines are right. But this race was, I think it's uh, something like 0.13% difference uh, between the two candidates, and... uh, the hand count, uh, only 5% is all they're going to count. And that's got to be uh, if they find that the, the hand count is off by more than 1%, then they will widen the hand count. But again, we're talking about a race that is less than one-tenth of 1%. Uh, and anyway, maybe more on that next week. But uh, Arizona, any state that does a recount by machine is insane. The citizens ought to be rising up uh, the way they are in Ferguson right now, frankly, to fight off that nonsense. Speaking of Ferguson, yes, Ferguson ran out of paper ballots on election night, and uh, so did other places in St. Louis County. We talked about it, I think, a few weeks ago on this show, but now we have information and emails at bradblog.com that you can check out for yourself to see that, in fact, the uh, St. Louis County election authorities there were warned, were warned that 15 percent of paper ballots would not be enough. Basically, in St. Louis County, which is where I'm from, my own whole my old hometown. Uh, They now uh, allow you to vote either on paper ballots or on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen systems. And the election officials there tend to point people to the touchscreen machines, the unverifiable touchscreen machines. But if you are smart, you know to vote on paper. And it seems like more and more and more people in St. Louis, for some reason, are voting on paper. So when they ran out of uh, uh, paper ballots around the uh, St. Louis County on Election Day, at first they said, oh, we were surprised. We had no idea that so many people wanted paper ballots. In fact, uh, there was uh, shortages at 95 different polling places throughout the county, about 20 percent of the polling places, which meant that you either had to vote on a 100 percent unverifiable machine or you had to wait around for them to print more paper ballots and bring it out, come back later in the day, whatever. How many people couldn't afford to wait? We don't know. But there was uh, hours-long lines. They had to keep the polls open an extra hour. I got in touch with uh, some of the election integrity experts and the advocates out there in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Dr. Cynthia Richards, she's president of Missourians for Honest Elections, a nonpartisan advocacy group out there. Um uh, 
Philip Michaels. He's also a longtime election integrity advocate with the Missouri Coalition for Transparent and Secure Elections. They sent email, and I obtained uh, some of these emails from these guys uh, that were sent to the St. Louis County Election Board and the election director, woman by the name of Rita Hurd Days. She's a Democrat, warning her that they were concerned, quote unquote, that there might not, quote, be enough paper ballots at every polling place on November 4th to cover all of the voters who would like to have one. I saw the replies from Rita Hurd Days, the election director there, who sort of said, "Eh, well, you know, we can always print out more if we need it. I have her emails as well. Philip Michaels uh, pointed out that uh, back in uh, previous years, other than in presidential elections, the percentage of votes on paper has been about 20 percent in the past. Why would they have only 15 percent paper ballots this year at the polls? Your guess remains as good as mine. Uh, Ms. Days, Senator Days, she's a former state senator, uh, says it was a cost-saving measure that it cost about 27 cents for each printed paper ballot. So that's what they did in St. Louis County, (laughs) where once again, election officials just don't seem to give a damn about the voters. Uh, And if that has anything, uh, if that is in any way similar to the way the St. Louis prosecutor, the St. Louis County prosecutor seems to feel about uh, the police force there killing unarmed young teenagers. Well, then I guess I'm glad I got us out of St. Louis County, although I miss it and I miss my family there. Uh, And I'm uh, terribly embarrassed to see what has come of it. But I'm also very proud of many of the folks in St. Louis County who are standing up, who are making noise, who are raising hell, and who are saying, no, this is not okay. We're going to come back and talk about exactly that. Take your calls, uh, your thoughts on what's going on in Ferguson, and the answer to the question uh, that I was asked at jury duty. Would you be able to consider testimony from a police officer the same way that you would consider testimony from any other witness. I will tell you what my answer was. After we get back from this short break, our phone numbers are 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. You can also tweet me on the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. I'd love to hear from you. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Thank you for being a friend Travel down the road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant I'm not ashamed to say I hope it always will stay this way My hat is off Won't you stand up and take a bow? Yeah, see, I had to find the cheesiest thank you music that I possibly could try to lighten things up because I I do want to say thank you. Thank you to all the listeners uh, on KPFK, on all of our affiliate stations. I just wanted to take the opportunity 
to lighten things up, if only for a moment, to say thank you for listening to the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman. My thanks also to all of our affiliate partners out there around the country, the Progressive Voices Channel, uh, the Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, iTunes, all of you guys for carrying the Bradcast. My thanks for that. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. It's Thanksgiving, you know? 818-985-KPFK. Uh, as I mentioned, I was on jury duty uh, a few weeks ago, and I was asked. It was interesting because it, it was a, a domestic violence case that I would have been on. And first I thought, A, they are never going to want me because, uh, for among many other reasons, I was in the middle of reporting on the story of the domestic violence case of federal judge Mark Fuller, who, by the way, still has his job even though he beat the crap out of his uh, wife in an Atlanta hotel room over the summer. Uh, he still has that lifetime job. We will see if his impeachment uh, happens in the days ahead. But uh, and you can go to Brad blog to hear that nine one horrifying nine one one call from his wife. Uh, so I was in the middle of covering a domestic violence case. I figured they weren't going to want me on this case at all. Turns out it was a, a domestic violence case with a bit of a twist out here. It was a female defendant. And the prosecuting attorney wanted to know if jurors would be able to judge testimony, to consider testimony from a police officer the same way they would uh, consider testimony from anyone else. Because apparently a police officer's testimony was going to be at the heart of this case. They were clearly going to, it was going to, the defense was going to be self-defense. Uh, even though this woman was not currently being threatened, she was going to make the claim that she had been abused by her husband. And the police officer was apparently going to testify in this case. And my answer was, no, I can't. Uh, you know, it's not that uh, I'm against cops or anything, but no, there's a higher standard when it's a cop who is testifying. When, uh, you know, a, a cop who may be a professional witness because they come into these courtrooms a lot. I'm not just going to take their word for it. There has to be physical evidence. There has to be more evidence than there might be if it was, a, you know, someone on the street, an eyewitness on the street. So, you know, not after what I've been doing at Brad Blog for 11 years, after seeing federal judge Mark Fuller lie about beating his wife, after seeing so many public officials and cops blatantly lying, after seeing the police chief up in Oakland during the Occupy uh, protests blatantly lie about who started riots up there, it was the police, not the protesters. After seeing the LAPD lie about protests down here about a year ago outside the W Hotel, I remember this, the, the police went on the air, told the networks that uh, protesters caused, went inside the hotel, broke stuff, caused $15,000 worth of damage. I called the W Hotel to uh, verify that. They said, uh, yeah, no, there was $0 worth of damage. There was no damage at all. The police lied. Not after talking to all of these whistleblowers that I've talked to over the years, uh, you know, and once again, then reading Darren Wilson's testimony underscored that point, that testimony that was released this week after Bob McCulloch, the St. Louis County prosecutor, after his pageant on Monday night <laughs> at 815 at night local time. Uh, he's the prosecutor. He's not the defense attorney. I, I've never seen anything like that. I don't think anyone has ever seen anything like that. Uh, that's not how a grand jury is supposed to work, America, in case you didn't know. All you need is probable cause. 
If the cops pull up to your car, they smell marijuana, that's probable cause to search your car. It's probably probable cause to arrest you. The cops had probable cause enough to arrest journalists sitting in a McDonald's last uh, August when they were covering the initial protest. They had enough uh, uh, probable cause to arrest those journalists for recharging their phones. But they don't have probable cause enough to arrest Officer Darren Wilson for what happened? I mean, it was a charade, frankly, and I understand why people are furious and why protests are growing now around the country. And by the way, uh, yeah, I read Darren Wilson's testimony to the grand jury where he said he was scared to death, scared for his own life in the police car where there was uh, supposedly this, uh, uh, this, this scuffle with Michael Brown. But Michael Brown died 150 feet away from that police car that Darren Wilson was in. So if he was afraid for his life in that car, what's his excuse for what happened 150 feet away from that car? And by the way, that was after Michael Brown supposedly turned around and started coming back at Officer Darren Wilson, rushing at him, rushing at him in such a way that he was terrified. He said he looked like a demon. So, no, um, sorry. Uh, I can't uh, consider testimony from a police officer in the same way that I would judge any other witness. I would be fair, but it just wouldn't be the same. Would it be the same for you if you were on a uh, on a jury? Would you hold a, a, a police officer to the same standard or would you have a higher standard? I'd have a higher one. 818-985-5735. Let's get to some of your calls on this uh, or anything else going on in Ferguson. Or if I'm lucky, anything that we have to be thankful for this year, this week. Oh, I think we do have something to be thankful for here, don't we? Uh, Caller, yes, on line number one, calling in from Boston, our friend Dr. Tucker. ODR, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Brad, how are you doing? Happy Thanksgiving Eve. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving Eve to you, or as I like to call it, Black Friday Eve Eve. Uh, DR, and I should, uh, for full disclosure here, DR uh, has uh, guest blogged at uh, bradblog.com over the years. He's now uh, an occasional, uh, I guess, a weekend blogger over at Washington Monthly. And uh, DR, to what do I owe this honor of your call this afternoon? Well, well, uh, uh, Brad, I just wanted to, to say, you know, one of the things I'm thankful for is, is you and your show and your blog and, 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 and your great work and Desi's great work. Uh, and, 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 also, and also thankful to uh, be out of the hospital. I was hospitalized a few days uh, ago with, uh, uh, shall, shall we say, some, uh, some emergency surgery on my stomach, on my small intestine, and uh I'm thankful that I'm no longer in pain as a result of that. Yes, I am and, and too. Also, yes, and I'm also thankful to have so many good friends and, and thankful thankful to be alive mm. is, is the best way I can put it. And uh, with regard to, uh, to to that murder she wrote, uh, <laughs> the, the murder she wrote uh, segment you were playing, do you think Jessica Fletcher, if she were a prosecutor, could have done a better job than Bob McCulloch did in St. Louis? Oh, my God. Anyone could have done a better job than Bob McCulloch did. You know, there's the old saying that uh, you can indict a ham sandwich. Uh, I think a ham sandwich could have indicted Darren Wilson if a ham sandwich would have tried at least as hard as Bob McCulloch did. 
Uh, so, yeah, it's an amazing. DR, uh, so good to hear from you. I'm glad to hear you're okay. I knew you were in the hospital. Great to hear your voice. Uh, it, it, it sounds like you're doing well. Or, or everything, uh, you getting a clean bill of health now from the doctor? Everything looking up from here? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely feeling great. Uh, definitely back to normal, uh, as as normal as, as things can be after after uh, the sort of surgery uh, that I had. Mm. But uh, yes, you know, obviously, for, for for all for all the people who rant about the the alleged evils of Obamacare, you know, you know, think about what it would be like uh, not to have any any you know coverage at all. I've been I've been fortunate to mm. to have. You know, to have coverage, and people don't people don't realize how great of a decision it was to sort of try to to, to try to expand healthcare coverage for people. Of course, you think about the states that don't bother doing so because they have this sort of grudge against Obama, and you know, shame on the people who who shame on the politicians who refuse to uh, help people help themselves, basically. Thank you, sir. Good point. You're, you, it worked. You're cheering me up already. Uh, thanks, Dr. Hope to talk to you Thank soon. You. And by the way, I should say Dr. is one of the great environmental advocates in this country. He used to be a right winger. He used to be a climate change denier until he actually bothered to read the science. Uh, and now he's a, a great environmental hero. Thank you, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Desi as well. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's go to, uh, where are we here? Uh, Frank in Lake Tahoe. Hey, Frank, welcome to the broadcast. Yes. Hi, Brad. How are you? I'm okay. I have, I have five reasons why I think you should be thankful. Okay. Give me your three uh, best quickly. The three best. Okay. The yeah. first one is you should be thankful that you that you are on the air at KPFK at least once a week. Okay. The second reason is you should be thankful that you talk about Ferguson and expose the criminalities that go on at any level in our government. Three, you should be thankful that you talk about election fraud and you expose charges like this guy you talk from Florida. The fourth one is you should be thankful you still can discover and maybe learn something from a Ken O'Keefe, which I coincidentally covered a couple of weeks ago, and which I think has more to offer than all of the political analysts in this entire country. From who? From and who? Ken O'Keefe. Ken O'Keefe. Okay, he's a former Marine, okay. and he was on this uh, flotilla that was blocked by the Israeli. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's often on Russian TV. And I think he shows us something that we have to realize that the the problems we have are so severe, we cannot solve them any other way than to address what the causes are, and then the solution becomes much more visible. And I think you, from the topics you talk about, you have opportunity to approach it like this, so KBFK and all the other programs become a little bit more effective to address the real issue. And I think Ferguson is a typical example where we have to realize under regular and, and normal means, nothing will get done. So, so Ken, uh, uh, Brad, yeah. you have a lot of things to be thankful and that's all I would like to say. Thank you, Frank. Smartly done. Really appreciate it. Have a very good uh, Thanksgiving, my friend. Let's go to uh, 818 is our number. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to uh, Morris in uh, Cyprus. Uh, hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast. The broadcast. Greetings from the hood. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, sir, white people are killed by officers uh, every week, but that's not as newsworthy as when an African-American's life is taken. And Officer Wilson's testimony has already been subjected to doubt. So why don't we wait and see what the feds come up with? And I also want to say I appreciate your interviews with Tom Hartman and your work on voter fraud, uh, voter fraud machines. Keep up the good work, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that, Morris. Um, yeah, well, you know, whenever anybody is killed by anybody, much less a police officer, you know, we need to ask questions about it. But uh, this, this charade in St. Louis is just horrible. I mean— when Bob McCulloch, the prosecutor, comes out and says, oh, there's all of these different witnesses. They all give different stories. Their stories were changing. Wow, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, conflicted information about Ferguson. It would be nice to have a trial in public to sort all of that out, wouldn't it? So I uh, just uh, the fact that we won't get that trial, at least on this case, uh, at least on criminal charges in the state, maybe we'll have a civil uh, a civil rights case by the federal government. Maybe we'll have a civil suit by the family. But you know what? Bob McCulloch was out there poisoning the jury pool, undercutting the witnesses uh, in advance. And he's the prosecutor. Are you kidding me? 818-985-5735. When it comes to juries, you know, when I said on on uh, on jury duty that, no, I can't judge a, a police officer by the same standards— other people on the jury said, yeah, I can't either, now that you mention it, now that you put it that way. They had trouble getting people on that jury. I wonder how many jury pools are being poisoned right now when we see public officials coming out, frankly, and lying the way they are constantly. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to... Betty in Redondo Beach. Oh, uh, th uh, happy Thanksgiving, Betty. Happy Thanksgiving, Brad. What's I, on your mind? I am so thankful to be speaking with you this afternoon. I want to say I love the music you play throughout your shows, a little Almond Brothers dance and Steve Miller. <laughs> but I can't say I love you so much, Brad. You're so great, and I so look forward to Wednesdays at 3. Oh, Honey, you have a way of delivering the bad news in such a funny, syrupy way that that goes right down. No. And as soon as we receive it, it's our responsibility to take action upon it. And I thank you. Well, thank you, Betty. For putting that out. I appreciate that. And I love you so much. <laughs> thank you, Betty. I was I was waiting this whole time. I thought there was going to be a but coming, but so there was there was no but. Glad to hear it. Uh, thanks, Betty. I I hope you have a great holiday. Okay. Thanks so much. All I right. Love you, love you too. Bye. Really appreciate that. 818-985-5735. See, I'm cheering up already. Uh, Betty has already made me happy, at least happier. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Desi, uh, be on standby. We're going to get to the green news in just a few minutes. And we're going to find out, by the way, and if, any, if anybody can guess when they call in, what uh, country now leads the world in deforestation. This just blew me away. That'll be in our green news report, along with Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo up in New York. What snowstorm? I didn't know about no snowstorm. The weather people they, they didn't tell me there was going to snow. Huh? They did? Oh, he's a dope. He's our dope of the week, right next to Bob McCulloch. Anyway, uh, Benjamin in Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to bring to light um, 
uh, what we really should be thankful for, and uh, that is that we exist. Wow, that's a pretty low bar, Benjamin. I got to say. Well, not necessarily because <laughs> it takes a lot of effort yeah. to bear a child. Yeah. And so everyone in the world should think about how much effort it takes. So uh. we should give more value and more blessings and, and rear that child to be an outstanding uh, citizen of any nation and just have high emphasis for the fact that we exist. So more thanks for our mothers is what it sounds to me like what you're saying, Benjamin. And, yes, and, and by the way... Did did my mother put you up to this call, Ben? Not no, but uh, you hear her calling. Okay. So be it spiritual or <laughs> in the ethers, but see, because it takes a lot of effort to give a child yeah. to bear a child. Yeah. So we can't we can't lose the fact, the simple fact that existing is a blessing beyond belief, and we got to give thanks for that mother, and we should should value the life and not take it. Agreed. Well done, Benjamin. I appreciate it. And here I was all smart-alecky, said, oh, that's a pretty low bar, merely existing. But Benjamin made a pretty good case. 818-985-5735. What the hell do we have to be thankful for? Uh, Can you judge a, a testimony from a police officer? Would you judge testimony from a police officer the same way you would judge anyone else's? Or what the hell's going on in Ferguson? Whatever you want. 818 985 Five seven three five. John in Riverside. Welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Thank you. Hi, I love your program. I love what you guys do. I do have a request, though. Okay. And I would love for progressive radio, rather than to focus and be behind one particular trial, you know, like for example, this trial or the Trevon Martin trial, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Instead, put their emphasis and try to get a reform on police protocol in handling uh, these kinds of dangerous situations where police uh, feel like their life is involved and and having a a national standard, a national protocol, Mm -hmm. so that then you could prosecute people. Everyone knows what the protocol is. You know, everyone knows that that Mm -hmm. whether they did it or they didn't do it. Is it, John, is it is it the place of the so that would be the federal government doing that? Is the is it the place of the federal government to tell local police forces how to uh, what their protocol should be for things like arresting individuals? I think if there was a, a, a federal protocol, they wouldn't have to necessarily enforce that. But then people in their state could, you know, put pressure on local politicians to adopt To adopt it. So it would be an advisory protocol that this is, we're the federal government, we believe that the, this uh, should be the protocol, these steps should be followed in confrontations like this, and then leave it up to the people locally if they want to call on their local officials or their state officials to adopt that national protocol. Is that what you're saying? That's, that's where it would start. Okay. See, the problem now is that, that our progressive media, they're pushing one particular case. And, and like, for example, in this case, I mean, there are so many um, uh, questionable factors. I mean, the loss of any person is, is, is a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But, in, you know, when you're trying to push forward reform on this one case, there's so many contributory things that, you know, in this case, you know, the, the fact that, the, you know, that the young man was, was under the influence of drugs, that there was a robbery beforehand, that, you know, he assaulted the police on all those things bring into, you know, make make it hard for most for a lot of people to accept that this was a wrongful, wrongful death. However, but if you're just looking at anybody, you know, white people, black people, brown, and everybody, 
Here is the this is what has to go through a policeman's mind before he pulls the trigger. Right now, I agree that police tend to be trigger happy, and more often than not, you know, black people are at, are at the you know the bad end of that. That that I mean, those are yeah. those are facts that, that everybody can agree on. The the thing is, is how do you fix that? Do you carry a banner for one particular person that was killed? Or do you, do you just say, hey, this is going on across all races? There was, what was a, a, a young man in, in Salt Lake City that was murdered like five days afterwards? Yeah, more, more by the way, more uh, homicides in Utah uh, by cops than by any other uh, means in Utah. Uh, John, I like your idea. i, I got to move on, but I do like your idea for national protocol that is uh, sort of voluntar- voluntary and that people can uh, push their local governments to adopt. Uh, I think that's a good idea, and so uh, more good things need to come out of this. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I, I do have to run. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Let me see if I can get in really quick uh, Two more before we have to go to uh, Green News, if I can. Hey, Bob in Sherman Oaks, very quickly, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi. Uh, I want to say that I'm extremely grateful at age 75 uh, for the Internet. Today I wanted to find out a little bit about Jim McCullough, Robert McCullough, the district attorney. Yeah. I didn't hear anybody telling me any details about him. I found out that uh, this is an exact replica. Newsweek had a story that they did on him mm-hmm. called Jack in the Box, where he where where three policemen, one of them shot uh, unarmed citizens, cla- claiming that the car was coming forward. He lied. There were none of the witnesses, uh, only three of the witnesses said that the car was coming forward, the other ten not. And it was an, <clears throat> and he told lies before everybody saying that all the witnesses said the car was coming forward towards the police when it was standing still. An investigation by the St. Louis Dispatch revealed this. Wikipedia revealed his entire history, including a case against Axel Rose and the same thing, the Jack in the Box murder. And then I uh, was able to uh, uh, find information on the fact that his parents, his father was shot and murdered yep. by a black person yep. as a policeman. As a his policeman, brother, his yeah. Cousins, his cousins. Yeah. Well, this needs to be repeated every time people talk. Are all I- policemen, and his father died at the hands of a black suspect. Yep, just one of the reasons why he had conflicts of interest in this case. Uh, You know, he also works with that very same police force uh, every day when he's bringing cases as a prosecutor. He should have recused himself. Bob McCulloch should have never been on this case. Uh, and the pageantry that went on uh, since then and uh, earlier this week, I think, underscores that again. Uh, thanks, Bob. I do appreciate your th- your thoughts there. I'd give you more time, but we uh, we have to get very quickly to green news here. Let me give Gigi 30 seconds. Do I have 30? Yeah, let me. Gigi, you got 30 seconds. Welcome to the broadcast. Go. Boy, is that me? Yeah. Okay, gosh, here's the thing. I think we should focus on what Mr. Uh, what's his name, Mark? Um, what's the... Wilson, Mark. the comment he made uh, when he gave his his now infamous interview, um, we should focus on what he said because I think it's very key. He said that he uh, that guy uh, that, uh, Michael became uh, really like a monster to him. Now, if you go back and look at that, uh, and that he was terrifying, fear for his life. If you look at all of the police shootings, which are predominantly black and brown people, he didn't mention brown, but I will go with black. Because that's what we're dealing with, and that's what he commented on. Yeah, all of them said the same thing, and and evidently, obviously, uh, now the law says that if a, if a cop says it, then that exonerates him. And here's the thing: then he just made an excellent case for black cops to be policing their communities. Because if a black cop or a brown cop 
was policing a white community, would he get away with saying, oh, I killed this little 12-year-old boy, which just happened. Gigi, I I hear you, and I hate to get out, but I got to get out or I won't get through green news in time. I I really do appreciate your call and the point you were making. Uh, All right, let's get some green news here. Okay, Desi Doyen, once again, I've ruined all of your time here with us. I know, there's all kinds of incredible things happening, but you'll have to go online to greennews.bradblog.com to find out all the new stuff, like the new ozone rules that the Obama administration put out. In the meantime, here is six minutes worth of our latest Green News report. No one had an idea that it was going to be that much snow that fast. Wrong, Governor Cuomo. Meteorologists did warn you about the deadly Buffalo snowstorm. It's not radical at all to stand up and be arrested to unjust laws. Arrests in Canada, protesting another tar sands pipeline. Speaking of Canada, you'll never guess who now leads the world in deforestation. Plus, the longer we wait to act... So more drastic will be the measures needed and higher the cost. Those lefty tree huggers at the World Bank warn extreme weather will be the new normal by 2050. All of those warnings and more straight ahead. Ignore them at your peril, Governor Cuomo. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We're not in global warming. (laughs) Just fix it in your mind, folks. He's right. When it comes to global warming, fix it in your mind, because we're not going to fix it in reality. Happy Thanksgiving. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get to the news, I want to announce our newest affiliate partner. Very excited about this. The great KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, joins the Green News Report. Yay! We are delighted to have you guys finally on board. And our thanks to Ian Levitt and William Davis at The Daily Report over there on AM 950. Welcome, Minneapolis. Woohoo! All right, Desi Doyen, what do you have for us today as we head into Thanksgiving? Well, a really important deadline. First, you have until December 1st to weigh in on the president's new emissions standards for power plants. I'm against it. The EPA is required to consider the volume of public comments. Okay, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> so now, big coal and big oil are making sure they have plenty of comments against the new pollution rules. December 1st is your last chance to support tighter pollution standards. We've got the links at greennews.bradblog.com. Meanwhile, in Canada... This pipeline violates the rights of Indigenous peoples. Canadians are taking a page out of the Keystone XL Pipeline protest handbook. The arguments that this is some sort of economic uh, necessity are bogus. On Sunday in British Columbia, at least 50 protesters were arrested for blockading the proposed expansion of the Kinder Morgan Tar Sands Pipeline in the Burnaby Mountain Conservation Area near Vancouver. First Nations Indigenous tribes have been fighting to stop the Canadian government's attempts to bypass their sovereignty rights with tar sands pipelines and mining extraction on their tribal lands. 
And surprise! Turns out Canada is now the world leader in deforestation, precisely because of the government's push to mine tar sands that are inconveniently located underneath its boreal forests. So displacing places like uh, Venezuela and Brazil and where they're wiping out the rainforest? And even Indonesia. That's according to a new satellite study of global deforestation trends from the World Resources Institute. Half of all forest lost since 2000 has occurred in just three countries. Canada, Russia, and Brazil. Oh, Canada. Weather whiplash from record cold to record heat and back again. Temperatures right now 68 still at the airport. That just feels fantastic. We were in the 30s on Friday. Several East Coast cities, including Philadelphia, went from record-breaking cold temperatures on Saturday to record-breaking hot temperatures on Monday while simultaneously getting a winter storm warning for Wednesday. When Buffalo, New York was paralyzed by last week's record deadly snowstorm, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo blamed the National Weather Service for not giving them enough warning. When the weather detection system is off, you don't know a storm is coming. You didn't have a chance to prepare. It can make a significant difference. Uh, and people can actually die. Wow, shame on the National Weather Service. Ah, but Weather Channel meteorologist Tom Nizal, who used to run the National Weather Service office in Buffalo, showed that the state government's inadequate response wasn't their fault. Here's the National Weather Service warning that was released Sunday, November 16th. Two feet of snow and persistent bands, blizzard conditions from Monday, November 17th. All the makings of a historic lake effect snow event. Tuesday's travel warning, travel within the lake effect band is impossible. Wow, they warned on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday. How much more could they do? Good question. Way to not take personal responsibility, Governor Cuomo. One thing is clear, extreme weather disasters are are expensive. Sorry to say, Buffalo, but these extremes will now become the new normal by 2050. A new study released by the World Bank finds the planet is locked in to unavoidable warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2050. That's nearly three degrees Fahrenheit relative to pre-industrial times. To put that into perspective, today's extreme weather disasters are happening at less than a degree of Celsius. We're on course to double that by the time today's teenagers are in their 50s. And that means it will also supercharge extreme weather events. So in other words, we're halfway there. Yep. Great. For much more on that impending disaster and all of the other ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. My thanks to our producer. Big thanks. Big Thanksgiving thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you, dear. And my thanks to Federico Garcia, Garcia, our soundboard operator today. We'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. While the Green News was playing, I got a text from my father saying, time to thank your mom and dad for being here. Thanks, mom and dad. You can find me on the Twitters at... The Brad Blog, and of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Happy Thanksgiving. Good night, world.